Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Of all fools, that man's the lowest ass who will affirm or deny, but not reflect, reflect, impetuous in his haste down either pass. For scurrying thought will often enough deflect the man's opinion into false terrain. And then his self-love binds his intellect. From the banks they depart worse than in vain, who fish for truth but haven't learned the art. As they've set out, they won't return again. Well, hello, and welcome to another Ask Andrew. And perhaps you remembered those words from my previous episode uh, from Dante's Paradiso, uh, Canto 13, lines 115 through line 120, line 115 through line 124. He goes on to say the world's been furnished open proofs of that. Now, what's really intriguing to me as I read it this time Of all fools, that man's the lowest ass who will affirm or deny but not reflect, impetuous in his haste. You see, he's impetuous in his haste. He's he's impatient. Scurrying thought will often enough deflect a man's opinion into false terrain, and then his self-love binds his intellect. Now, self-love... I think generally speaking, ethicists see self-love as a mixed bag, that you, you, you do have to love yourself. It would be wrong to dislove something God loves, but, but self-love for us is a pretty corrupt thing, and we exalt it above every love, and then that love of self binds our intellect into a false opinion. Now, what strikes me about this is the two things that prevent a person from seeing the truth are sin. Vices, impetuosity, or what we call impatience, and self-love in a, in, a, in a misplaced, inappropriate mode. In other words, ultimately, it's not only a lack of tools, intellectual tools, that prevents us from seeing truth. It's a lack of virtue. It's a lack of rightly ordered affections, you might say. It's a lack of character, quality. Welcome to this Ask Andrew in which I'm addressing the question of adequatio, adequatio, adequacy. We need sufficient tools if we want to see a kind of truth. And notice the word I just used, a kind of truth. In my previous uh, Ask Andrew, I talked about the four kinds of education, pragmatic, traditional, and for lack of a better term, wisdom or philosophical, I guess. Um, And I suggested there's a fourth kind of education, which I'm just going to call Christian uh, or spiritual, if you want. But what I want you to notice is that each of those kinds of education is based on a certain faith, 
a, a faith in a certain kind of knowledge being possible. So for the for the pragmatist, for the scientific materialist, which I think is the the most common uh, expression of pragmatism or, or sophistry today, for the for the scientific materialist, the only thing that he believes in is what his senses can perceive and his mathematical calculations can verify. And that, he believes, is the only kind of knowledge that should be used in public discussions. Well, what if there's higher modes of knowing that we also need? What if there's a wisdom that transcends that? Well, the traditionalist comes along and says there sure is. And if the pragmatist is skeptical, the traditionalist is reverent. He is respectful of the achievements of the past, perhaps even too much so. But he's not content merely with what his senses perceive and his statistics can calculate and verify because he knows perfectly well that there are other things that exist. For example, his society. He's moved by stories of glory and honor. He's moved by people who have died for his freedom, for his society. And every society has this sort of person who is willing to die for it, the few, the proud, the Marines. And all of us should remember and respect them. But if that's as high as we go, well, then we'll, no matter what our society does, we'll fight for it, die for it, and remember it and praise it. And we won't be able to achieve wisdom. There's a third level. There's a, there's a capacity to ask, should we have done that particular thing? Can I love my country if it has done dumb things? Well, God forbid that that's an impossibility because then nobody could love his country. Can I love my family if I know that my parents committed iniquities? Every teenager goes through this, right? They, they discover existentially feel in their bones the inadequacy of their parent and suddenly what they thought was a god as a child is is no longer a god well it's time then parent to to let your child internalize through dialectic the beliefs that you've been passing on so that they can become his own beliefs because if he's supposed to believe things based on your deity um that won't work let's put it that way And that means there's a third kind of knowing and a third set of tools that's needed. And these are the tools of wisdom. And and I suggested that they can be summarized, for lack of a better word, in the word dialectic. But then I said not even even wisdom is adequate. And here I'm turning and leaning very heavily on the words of St. Paul when he speaks of the inadequacy of the wisdom of words. I'm, I'm thinking of St. Paul when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3 and tells them that they're bad at making judgments, that they think like children. And why do they think like children? Well, he tells them the reason they think like children is because, or let me say the proof that they think like children, if not the reason, is that they're divided. Where there's envy and strife and division, are you not mere men? That's how one translation puts it. Are you not men? You're using the best of your human wisdom to fight with each other. And then the rest of the whole book of 1 Corinthians, chapter after chapter after chapter, is a list of things about which the Corinthians make foolish decisions. They lack 
they lack the wisdom they need. They lack an adequate tool to deal with the issues and questions that come up for them. Now, I ask you, is there anything more practical than that? You have decisions to make. You and I, we have decisions to make all the time. Do we have adequate tools to make that those decisions? Dorothy Sayers wrote her essay, The Lost Tools of Learning, with this at least indirectly in mind. Aristotle's term was organon. He wrote a series of, of handbooks, or at least his students copied a series of handbooks called the organon in Greek. And we get organ from that. And organ is, an, is a way of, is, is a, a tool used to make something. Um, an instrument is a, a perfectly legitimate uh, translation of organon. And that's why there's an instrument called an organ. It's kind of a cocky title in a way for an instrument to say this is the instrument. But that's what they call it, the organon, the organ. Aristotle wrote these books to say these are the tools that you need to think. Well, the organon need to be learned uh, to make good decisions in life. And the higher you ascend in the powers of the mind, the more you need to train the organon, the organ of the intellect, the, the organ of understanding. But even that, even Aristotle's organon falls short. Now, some people, a Platonist or a person who likes Plato more than Aristotle, at least not necessarily Platonist, might argue that, that yeah, but that's because Aristotle falls short of Socrates or Plato's dialectic. And okay, if you want to hold that position, I won't argue with you. I think that Aristotle does a fine job of breaking the dialectic into parts and showing how each part is used. But at this point, we lose everybody. So let's not have that argument right now. Let's just say that Plato and Aristotle both provide astounding tools for high levels of thinking that take you into the realm of wisdom and not just tradition and practice, not just pragmatism and tradition. But they're not enough. Think about it like this. You have a decision to make. What kind of decision is it that you're making? Is it a... Is it a decision that relates to the senses and to calculation? Is it a budgeting decision and that's all it is? Or might it be, in fact, a decision that doesn't just mean the budget has to balance out, but that the budget has to contain your values, that the budget has to... The budget has to, you, you have to make a financial decision. And not only do you need to maintain a bank balance, but you also need in your financial decision to live a life consistent with your beliefs. Well, what kind of tools do you need to do this, to do that, as opposed to just balancing your books? Do you see the difference? Now, just balancing your books, I would call a pragmatic decision. When you bring in the question of my beliefs and my values and my commitments, now we're talking about tradition and wisdom. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of decision is this I'm trying to make? Or it would help you to ask that. Then the second thing is, what powers of perception are required to answer the question? In other words, what do you have to be able to perceive 
if you want to answer this question about let's stay with finances. If it's a if it's a something like, for example, your child breaks a bone, um, it's bodily. It's pretty simple. What you have to perceive is that the child's bone is broken and a doctor can fix it. And that's a pretty straightforward, practical decision. What if, however, your child wants to drive the car? What if your child wants to go to college? What if your child comes to you and says, what do you think of this girl that I would like to marry? Do you see how you need different powers of perception? To perceive that your child has a broken bone is a very different thing from perceiving that your child has a broken heart. To perceive that your child has a broken heart is a very different thing from perceiving that your child has a broken spirit. Or that your child has a healthy body is different from a healthy soul, is different from a healthy spirit. What powers of perception are required to answer the given questions? What do we need to see What powers of perception do we need to see things that involve life, to see things that involve artistry, to see things that involve self-awareness, or to see things that involve awareness of God? We need adequate tools of perception, do you see? And I'm proposing that the purpose of education is to give tools of perception, to cultivate tools of perception in the child. That's what it is for everybody. The pragmatist, it's, he's got, he wants the child to develop pragmatic tools of perception. The traditionalist, traditional tools of perception. The wisdom, the philosopher, I guess, um, philosophical tools of perception. The Christian, Spiritual tools of perception. And I've suggested that for the pragmatist, it's, you know, basically it's, um, or the sophist, the utilitarian, it's basically um, sensory perception and calculation is what they use. For the traditionalist, there's the text, there's the memory, there's the recalling things. For the for the wisdom, the philosopher, it's the dialectic, the challenging everything, um, using reason and growing on that. But what about the Christian? In one of the most extraordinary verses in the whole Bible, in my (laughs) very limited opinion. Well, let me say two things from Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we don't look only on the visible and the temporary. But he says, we behold well, how does he put it? When when uh, when C.S. Lewis wrote a wrote an, a, a whole essay that became the title of a book, "The Weight of Glory," he says, "We we look not on the momentary light affliction, but on the eternal weight of glory. The eternal weight of glory. Notice, eternal is not measurable. It's an eternal weight. It goes beyond what can be measured, and it's glory." It's invisible. You can't see it in this world. We don't look on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Well, how do we do that? How do we perceive unseeable things? And the answer seems to me 
is that Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he lists, you remember that famous verse where Paul says, the eye is not seen, notice, power of perception, the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, now get this, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The very heart of man itself. And that's the heart of man in the Bible is not the feelings. It's the temple. It's the abiding place of God. It has not entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. The heart of man in our condition cannot perceive the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But what does it go on to say? That he's revealed it to us by his spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, we have been given what Paul calls the mind of Christ. He says, who has entered into counsel with God? Who who has given counsel to God? But you have the mind of Christ, he says. Now, the Christian then says, well, we have the mind of Christ. So we can see the things that God has prepared for those who love him, the things that he's promised by his Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. The Corinthians had the mind of Christ. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and telling them that they have the mind of Christ. And almost the very next thing, or very shortly thereafter, he says, but I have to talk to you like babies. I have to talk to you like like people who don't have the mind of Christ because you're not using it. And as I said, then for the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, 5, 6, all the way up through chapter 12, and then 14, 15, he goes into all the different areas where they do not think with the mind of Christ and therefore make foolish, foolish decisions. They have, in other words, the adequate tool, but they're not using it. The purpose of education is to equip the student, the disciple, to use the tools of perception to make sound judgments. That's wisdom. That's the highest wisdom. And what I want to say here, because I'm just about out of time, what I want to say here is that just as traditional education does not defy and destroy pragmatic education, but contains it and extends it, and just as philosophical or wisdom-based education does not destroy traditional and pragmatic education, but purifies and extends it, it challenges it by all means, but it deepens it and validates it and corrects it. In the same sense, but even more so, the mind of Christ does not destroy wisdom-based education, does not destroy philosophical education, does not destroy traditional education, does not destroy pragmatic education, but fulfills all of them in Christ. Christ is the Logos. It is him in whom all things are made one. And he therefore is the principle of unity of all thought. His mind, the Holy Spirit that he's given us, is the means by which, as Paul puts it, the spiritual judges all things. And what he seems to mean by that, what he seems to mean by that 
is that the spiritual person is the one who rightly understands everything in its nature and its relationships with everything else. And therefore, he's the only truly practical person. He knows what to do about leadership crisis in chapter four. He knows what to do about sexual impurity in chapter five. He knows what to do about marriage and the crisis of the time in chapter six. He knows what to do seven, eight, nine, ten. He knows what to do about church fellowship, about communion, about, about food offered to idols. He knows what to do about all of these things because he has the mind of Christ. But what gets us all messed up is exactly what Dante said in chapter 13, self-love and haste. We draw our conclusions too fast, and then because we love ourselves, we cling to those conclusions. That's the enemy of the mind of Christ, because one of the things the mind of Christ reveals to us is that we see through a glass darkly. The one who thinks he knows, Paul, St. Paul said, The one who thinks he knows does not yet know as he ought to know. That is a deep, difficult, mysterious statement. But it's not one we can afford to ignore. We have to cherish our ignorance because it seems like it's the only path to knowledge. And just as the mind of Christ is a mind of humility... So the first step to knowledge for us is humility, which, by the way, is contained in the wisdom literature of the Greeks, the Chinese, even even the Buddha talks about the need for accepting your ignorance. Christ doesn't deny that. He fulfills it. He fulfills it, you see. And so the adequacy, the adequate tool that we have with the mind of Christ in an ironic way. And the thing that we need to teach our children above all else is humility. We need to do Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And he stepped down, as you know, and he stepped all the way to the obedience, the slave-like obedience of a servant to the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him above every name. And because his name is exalted above every name, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, from which he was able to send us his Holy Spirit. And that's that's why I say... Let us seek the mind of Christ, his humility, his almost in a certain, well, I was going to say his repentance, but his repentance is the repentance for our sins. Surely if he can repent of our sins, we can repent of our own. Let us seek his humility in the mind of Christ so that we can perceive truth that cannot be perceived any other way. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 